0: Nation, welcome to another episode of Mr. Benfica. I am your host, the Mr. Mike Agustinio, back with you here for another podcast. And, well, I guess I've avoided this long enough. Uh, I have to talk about this match. This has had me in somewhat of a bad mood all weekend, but I do have to talk about this match today. We're talking about Benfica versus Portimones. Last weekend at the Stadio de Luz Benfica loses their first match in all competitions this season into of all teams, to Porto Mones, as I call them. Porto B. That's right. It's amazing just how hard and how motivated they are to play against us versus some of their other opponents. However, we do know Paul Sergio is a good manager. He had the team well organized, well prepared. Benfica flying high coming into the match, as we know, and that's always a time where anybody is ripe for the picking, and we got dragged right back down to earth after being in the clouds, after beating Barcelona 3-0 just a few nights earlier, we'll talk about that game in just a few moments, but um, some other things to talk about today, okay, Uh, Thank you to everyone who checked out episode 127. It's in the archive now. It's on the feed. Uh, Please check it out. It is a recap of everything involving the women's football team and their historic run so far in the UEFA Women's Champions League this season, plus plus their work up until now in the Liga BPI. Um, As you know, they, they are in action this weekend when the men are not because the men are on international duty. The men did play a training match um earlier today, today being Friday, the eighth of October, at the Seychelles, a closed door training match with essentially a second choice squad with, you know, none of the internationals. Um and according to Abala, uh, Benfica lost uh five to four in a in a uh training match with Ference. Um, PZ scored three goals in it though So <laughs> I guess that there is a There is a silver lining But again this is our second squad And I could tell by the lineup That Benfica had to have played in a 3 In a three four three 4 um, 3 Because it did say That the center That the, the back line Was comprised. Just in reading the, the, the players that played um, El, uh, Elton Lake was the goalkeeper uh, Dior Diogo Gonçalves played, as did Andre Almeida, um, Ferro and Moratu. So I'm assuming those were the three central defenders, at least to start this one. And uh, Gil Diaz also started, so I'm assuming he was at the left wing back. I could be wrong, but just judging by the names that were listed, that's what I would guess uh, went in. And then uh, Jer- uh, Jetson and... Um, Oh, it's esca- it's escaping me now who it was. But Jetson started in midfield alongside alongside Mete. Uh also playing was Everton, Sabolinia, um Rodrigo Pino, and my my mind is escaping me now who the other player was in the match, but just judging by the players that were on the pitch. Um of course in these matches there's not going to be any form you you're using the majority of the players who have not played a lot of minutes recently and you're playing against a Ferenc team that is got that is most likely a full strength and again it's a training match i'm sure they changed tactics around i'm sure they tried different things but in case you were wondering that's what they have been up to this week during the during the um international international break um also, I just wanted to to give a quick shout out. I'll do this here. Uh, Portugal win the FIFA Futsal World Cup, and this was a very weird, uh, very weird experience for me. And the reason I say that is because I had both Portugal versus Argentina and futsal on one screen, and on my my big TV, I had Benfica versus Portimonense, and literally the two matches in. Ended at the same time, at least on my streams. They ended at the same exact time. So, gutted to lose to Portimonense. And then, at the same exact time, I'm not kidding. I got one eye on one screen, one on the other. And, you know, the clock ticks zero in the futsal match. Portugal are World Cup champions. What a performance from our former goalkeeper, Bebe. He was phenomenal. I had uh, shared a instagram post in my story uh from canal talking about how uh bebe is has a day job now now that he's not at benfica he he works during the day okay so he he gets up in the morning trains in the gym and then works and then trains with his team at night this isn't that uncommon in futsal in portugal or anywhere else when you're outside one of the fully professional teams i got some feedback from people that thought that this was a disgrace and that I shouldn't be celebrating because I said how much I respected his hustle and grind. People understand Bebe is working in his family business, his parents' cafe that he will own someday. He chose to work. Why was this something that that should be an embarrassment, a shame? It's, It's a choice that the man made and obviously he's smart and he's intelligent and he's thinking about past his playing days which most professional athletes do not do so again i just want to use this platform to applaud bebe and again he was he was an absolute monster in that world cup uh against kazakhstan i that, that might have been the best goalkeeping performance i've ever seen in a futsal match And he was just as good, again, against Argentina. And Portugal only win one... This is a familiar thing about Portugal, isn't it? Portugal win only one match in the knockout stages in regulation, which was, of course, the final against the defending world champion. The other three matches, the round of 16, the quarter in the semifinal, against Serbia, Spain, and Kazakhstan, respectively, all went to extra time, and Kazakhstan went to penalties. Portugal persevere, lift the World Cup. Congratulations to Bruno Coelho, you know one of our former athletes. Also, congratulations to Fabio Silu uh, he's also one of our athletes, and you know obviously Ricardo, who came from our club and is now playing elsewhere. But um, a lot of Benfica in that side. A lot of Spartan too, but I guess I'll congratulate them as well for now. I know I'm gonna go back to not liking them very soon. Uh guys like Eric and you know Pani played out of his mind. He's even though he's a Spartan player, I gotta recognize that. <laughs> and uh yeah it was in Zeki the the pivot was also instrumental for Portugal. So big shout out to to Portugal for winning that. Like I said it was it was kind of it was kind of like a counter, uh, what's the word, anticlimactic is the word I'm talking about. You envision winning a World Cup and being excited, but it literally happened at the same exact moment that Benfica lost this match that we're going to talk about today. Okay, in the second part of the show today, I'm going to recap last night's uh, presidential debate between Rui Costa and uh Francisco Benitez. Okay, I took a lot of time to watch this. I took a lot of time to re-watch it. Uh, I've read a lot of the analysis, not the analysis, but the reports of it, the reviews. Uh, I've listened. I caught Benfica Independent's review of it last night, too. I had all, I had just learned, um, the night before, I had just listened to Francisco Benitez's interview on Benfica Independent. I watched his interview on BTV, so I, I really tried to get a grasp for what this opposition candidate uh was bringing to the table and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on that at the end of the show that'll be the final segment i'll give my thoughts for those of you interested if you're not interested um you know you can obviously skip that part of the show at the end but uh of cr- those of you that can uh make sure you vote if you haven't already by the time you hear this podcast <laughs> election date might be over but uh make sure you vote regardless of who you vote for make sure you vote um it would be a real shame if if we had a very low turnout after last year's record turnout, and um, I mean, there's there's I'm gonna be honest. I'll probably get into this later, but there honestly there is pros and cons to each of these candidates, and um, Benfiquistas need to start learning how to get along with people that disagree with them. Um, I'm a little set off a little turned off by a lot of the toxicity around the supporters in the club uh towards those who may think differently than them and it it's it's not it's not a good image that I like to see for the club but I'll, I'll give what I thought later in the episode all right uh we're going to take a quick break now and we're going to get the news on the other side of this break and then after that we'll talk Portimonense versus oh, Benfica versus Portimonense excuse me from the Stadio de Luz and this is Mister Benfica, as you know, I'm the Mister Michael Agustino. You can follow the show at Benfica Mister on Twitter. Let's get to 1,000 followers by the end of 2021. All right, let's do this. We got 886 on my last check, so we're we're, we're inching our way there. Let's get to 1,000 followers by the end of of 2021. That's my my goal. Um, also, follow my account as well, my Twitter. I'm not quite as active there. Um, you, but follow me at Mike Agustinho. That's M I K E A G O S T I N H O. Don't forget to check out the website, www.mrbenfica.com. I have the the table, the league table, all updated there. I've also got the, the video for the entire match of the Women's Champions League Benfica versus Bayern Munich. You can watch the entire match right it's it is right on my uh, my homepage. Just go to com. All right, and you can see it there. You can also find me on Instagram at Bayf- at Mr. Benfica. Excuse me, and um, you know, anytime you want, just drop me drop me a message if you have any feedback. Um, if you have thoughts on the debate, or if you have thoughts on uh, the the candidates, or how this campaign went. It was a short one, as you know, because it was only announced. Uh, several weeks ago, that there would even be an election, um, and just in this in this international break in general, if you want to drop a line on on what you think about the direction the club is going in, both on the pitch and off, just uh, yeah, drop me a line and uh, I will. Uh, I love interacting with you guys. Some of you I interact with very regularly, and um, you know if you ever want to say something, I am. I am all ears, so feel free to drop me a line uh, on on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, either at Bayfica Mr on Twitter or uh, at Mr. Befica on Instagram. All right, let's take that break and we'll be right back You're listening to the parking the bus podcast here on the PTB. Media Network, your English language home of Copa Libertadores. And in the news this week, we start with the juniors, the U 19s, fresh off a 4 0. Thumping of Barcelona in the UEFA Youth League, Benfica's U19s took to the pitch at the Seychelles last weekend to take on the bitter rival Sporting in an early season derby. And Benfica's U19s win a 3-2 with goals from João Neves on a highlight reel bicycle kick in the first minute, Ugo Felix in the 59th minute, and Ricardo March with the winner in the 76th. Also notable. Ubu Felix received a what they call a white card for exemplary fair play in helping one of his teammates up um, after a incidental contact I suppose after they were got tangled in and uh, he checked on his his opponent and helped his opponent up off of the pitch and in a great display of fair play and sportsmanship the referee showed Ugu Felix the white card. Um, this is an initiative, I believe, done in, in Portugal. I don't know of it happening anywhere else, but it's the second or third time I have heard of this, uh, where a referee issues a white card. It is a good thing. <laughs> Mayfica go joint atop of the table in Phase 1 of the U19 National Championship, South Section, level on points right now with second place Alverca. And they both have 16 points. Benfica, however, have two matches in hand as their 16 points come from a total of six matches to Alverca's eight. And just about every other team in the section has eight matches played. Benfica next take to the pitch uh, at the U19 level on October the 16th at um, the aforementioned Alverca. Benfica B got back to their winning ways last Sunday at Seychelles with a 3-1 win over Group Sportive de Chaves, And goals in this one came from Martin Neto, Enrique Araujo, and Tomas Araujo. And these three goals lifted the Eagles to victory. Benfica B currently sitting third right now in the Liga 2, which is very, very good, with 14 points from seven matches, four points behind the leaders Ferenc and Level on points with second place. Riuav Enrique Araújo is the second top scorer right now in the Liga Dois, the Liga 2. He is one goal behind the the leader who is from Verzin Sport Club, Brazilian striker. He, 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 he and uh, he'll have a chance to add to his tally, of course, in the next match. And But that won't be until October the 23rd. That's because of the international break. And on the back end of this international break is a TASA weekend. So the Liga 2 does shut down for the Tassa weekend at this stage of the tournament. So Benfica will only return to the pitch. It'll be at the Seychelles again uh, on the 23rd of October, like we said, hosting Académica. Now for the Modalidades this week. Men's basketball after qualifying for the FIBA Europe Cup for, uh, for the second time in three seasons after winning their qualifying mini-tournament in the Netherlands last week. Uh, new coach Norberto Alves seems to have a much improved side on his hands from the one we saw last year. And they opened up the LPB season with a convincing 96 57 win last week over Vitória Guimarães at the Pavilion Fidelidad. Betinho Gomes led the Eagles with 22 points in scoring and seven rebounds, and he shot four for five from three point range. And next up for Benfica is Immortal. On Sunday, in a pregame interview, uh, Arnett Hallman, one of the Benfica's forwards, said that Immortal have the ability to challenge for a title this year. Women's basketball, on the other hand, flying right now uh, and firing on all, on all cylinders. Excuse me. Um, after having won the Super Cup, they have started their league season off with a 2-0 uh, record, a two-game win streak to start it off. Wins at Guimarães and at Quinta dos Lobos. And they are at home this weekend versus Associação Desportiva de Vagos. Men's hockey wins midweek during the holiday on October the 5th with a 4-1 win over Hockey Club de Braga. And this weekend, the hockey team is away at Oliveira in a rematch of last year's league quarterfinal series in which Benfica won in five games, winning the series three games to two. Currently, Benfica sit in fourth place in the standings for hockey with nine points. That that is four wins, one defeat, behind Sporting Porto and Akit Barcelos, who all have, uh, who, excuse me, who lead them. Akit Barcelos has nine points, like they do, and Sporting and Porto with twelve points. Women's hockey are in their preseason right now. They have not gotten started officially yet, but they won a preseason game, uh, midweek, four to one over Spanish side uh, hockey club Liceo. Handball keeps flying after, qualify, also qualifying for uh, Europe last week in, in a playoff round. This time they came to to their league. And it was a 38-27 win over ABC Braga, one of the historic handball clubs in Portugal. And next up is an away battle up north on Saturday against FC Gaia. Volleyball is the most successful of the Modalidades in recent Times at the club, and this season has started off no different after winning the Super Cup over Sporting. This week, uh, volleyball won their Champions League opener three sets to one in Estonia over Big Bak Bak Tartu is the name of the club that they beat by scores of 26-24, excuse me, 25-18, and 25-16. The lone set that was won by the Estonian side was 25-22. The league kicks off this weekend at the Pavilion de Luge. Games on or matches on both days. Uh, Saturday it's against Club Kappa and Sunday against Font Bastardo. Men's futsal get ready to kick off the Liga placard this Sunday. They're at home against Lyon's Porto Salvo. And again, I reiterate the congratulations to Portugal's uh, men's futsal national team in winning the FIFA. Futsal World Cup for the first time ever. This is a huge accomplishment for Portugal, and right now Portugal is in a, what's going to end up being a golden age uh, of all forms of football. Um, when we look back at this some time from now, um, a an era in which Portugal won championships in men's eleven versus eleven football, men's beach soccer, and men's futsal. Uh no we're, sorry, European championships in all three and world championships in beach soccer and in uh now futsal. Women's futsal uh win two games this week. They played twice, six nil over Shavsh and five one over Taboza. And that adds to earlier wins in the season over Gol Goleria um and a super cup win over Noon Alvarez in the in the opener. The Agies are joint top of the table with Sporting and with Luna Alvarez. Um, Luna Alvarez is a club out of FAF, as they all sit top of the table right now with nine points. This week, the girls are away to Vermoen, um, in the league. Rui Costa and Francisco Benitez took to the podiums Thursday night. Um, and it aired on BTV supposedly for free for everybody. I do know... Uh, some people did tell me in Portugal they did not get it. Um, they use the expression in "canal aberto," an open channel, which means BTV was supposed to be free. Um, one person uh, did confirm to me that it was in fact free on on the MEO service. MEO, MEO, uh, that provider, that cable provider or satellite provider, did did air the the channel for free that day and the aired the debate for free. I did see, though, on Twitter, others saying they were not getting access, that the channel was not running for free as advertised. There'll be more on the debate at the end of the show today. And that, my friends, is the news for this week. There'll be more next week as I will keep you up to date in all of the different sectors of the club, especially in the modalidades, who are often uh, overlooked and its it's a mission to Keep up much better with them this season for me. I hope to keep everyone much more informed. But that's the news, like we said. So uh, we're going to take one more quick break. And on the other side, we're going to get right into Portimonense versus Benfica Liga. No, not Liga Nodge. Excuse me. i got to get used to saying this. Liga B win Portugal. And uh, we'll be right back here on Mr. Benfica. Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno brilho. Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica Ouve a nossa voz O querer de todos nós A fé que não se explica Carrega bem fica Carrega bem fica De todos nós, A fé que não se explica. Carrega Benfica, carrega Benfica. Ouve a nossa voz, O querer de todos nós. O querer de todos nós. Ah. Manto sagrado é peso pesado. Não o carrega sozinho em cada esquina, há um vizinho. Sente o carinho, do Algarve até ao Minho. O vermelho pinta a tuga e é isso o teu colinho. A reconquista do que é nosso Por direito que não vi Por fazer o que podia ter sido feito Se queres a nossa força Sabes que estamos contigo Em casa ou fora Nós somos o eterno abrigo Sabes que estamos contigo Nós somos o eterno abrigo a querer de todos nós, é que nós nos expliquem, a regra Benfica, carrega regra Benfica. Move o nosso voo, a querer de todos nós, é que nós nos expliquem. All right, so here we go round 8. Liga Portugal B-Win, or is it Liga B-Win Portugal? I never remember the order of it, but uh, it is Liga Portugal B-Win. It's, I think I misbranded uh, it in the previous segment, but here we go. It is round eight. We're at the Stadio de Luz, and we've got my maybe my least favorite of all the referees in Portugal in this one, uh, Fabio Veríssimo. I, I don't think he's done a good job once with us. But uh let's take a look here at the lineups starting with the visitors of course managed by Paul Sergio uh he's got Samuel Portugal in goal for Portimonense he changes his his he changes his system from a 433 to a 532 in this match he really studied Benfica well um and I think he figured out how to cancel the overloads that Benfica are so reliant on and are so successful working on the outsides, and it is by putting a line of five in the back, end. and you have to give him credit on that end. It did work, and it was successful. Of course, a lot of luck was also used. He admitted himself that um, to say that this was a fair result would have been a lie. Uh, he's very proud of his team, and he doesn't want to devalue, uh, devalue his team's you know, effort and performance, but he also recognizes that uh, they did have a bit of luck in this one. As Benfica played much better than the result obviously shows his line of five, the wide right back the sorry, right wing back is Fad Mouifi. Three center backs Pedro Henrique Willian and Lucas Passignolo. the left back is Kande. The three in midfield in front of them, Lucas Fernandes to the right, Pedro Sá in the center, and Carlinhos to the left, with two forwards in front of them, Fabricio on one side, and Ailton Morte, the former Isturil Praia man, uh, now applying his trade at Portimones ever since uh, 2019. He's known for being the nephew of former Portugal international Sporting, Arsenal, and West Ham, among others, uh, player, Luis Boamart, and um, he's had a nice career for himself as well as he has represented Istriel, Cova da Piedad, uh, Salgueiros, and back to Istriel and now Portimonense. Uh, those are the 11 that. Uh, lineup for for, for Portimonense. Georges rolls out his normal eleven. There's not much of a change here. Um, in fact, no changes from the team that we're getting used to seeing. Odi is the goalkeeper once again, the Greece international. The back three: Lucas Verissimo, Nicolas Otamendi, and Superyan Vertongen. The only change in the only variable in this eleven is always the right wing back, given the injury status of. Just about all of them. Uh, today it was, or I should say on the day, it was Gilberto getting the start as Diogo Gonçalves, Dio Gonçalves, and Valentino Lazaro makes room for Gilberto in this one. In um, To the inside of him, you have João Mario and Ulien Weigel, the usual um, center midfield pair that always seem to just do a, a good job. Together, and both of them seem to be better together than apart, if you will. Uh, And of course, the left wing back is Grimaldo. In the attack, you got Rafa down the right, Darwin down the left, and Roman Yarimchuk as the central striker. So, Befica come into this game very confident, as they should have been. And as I think we all were, although, like I said, this is just a game. I was a little nervous about this for a little while. And as the game wore on without... Benfica scoring, I got more nervous about this, and and this is a thing with this team. And at least for me, in the way I experience these matches, is the longer Benfica go without scoring, the harder it seems to to get, and um, it's just been, it's just the pressure seems to mount a little bit. We're at the Stade de Luge, uh, like we said, and the restrictions have been lifted on terms of of attendance and and match capacity. However, I don't think the the I don't think that the limits were raised in time to impact this game. I think the ticketing and the structure and just the operations of, of the of the match day were already set in place. And, and they didn't roll out new tickets. I think they just went with what they expected. Uh, there's a few more than 50%, but I don't think they made all I don't think they made 60,000 tickets available for this one. I could be wrong, but the attendance ends up being 38,845, nowhere near where it should be for a Benfica crowd. If that if there was 100% capacity allowed, there's no excuse for such a small crowd, especially on the heels of such a big win earlier in the week. But I'm assuming that uh I'm assuming that there wasn't a 100% they didn't have the capability to go 100% in this match. That's just, I think it was too quick of a turnaround to make that happen. So the match kicks off, and again the crowd is excited. Benfica look comfortable early. They look confident, and they get forward in the first chance of the match. It takes a little while to get going. It's a little bit of a of a slow start. Uh, you actually you even get a yellow card to Roman Yarimchuk for a foul on on Pedro Enrique. Early in the match, in the 11th minute, we move forward a little bit here. And going through the notes, not a lot of good chances in the early portion. It took a little while for Benfica to get going. And in the 21st, finally a good opportunity as Roman Yarimchuk has a left-footed shot from the center of the box, saved in the bottom left corner. One of like seven big saves made by Samuel Portugal in this match. Uh, He had been set up by Grimaldo with a cross. It was a fantastic save. This was actually a really good scoring opportunity. I'm remembering it now. And Samuel was just fantastic on it. He did concede the corner with the save, but nothing comes of the corner. Um, Moving ahead, and we get Darwin winning a free kick in the 26th. Nothing comes of it. In the 28th, an attempt missed by Darwin from very close range. It's a header as Rafa gets into space. Rafa had himself another... Uh, another pretty good matchup, uh, good match, excuse me, and he gets himself into good space here going down the right, and he crosses for Darwin. Darwin should be confident after the match he had against Barcelona and scoring two goals and delivering that penalty with such confidence against Barcelona, but he tries to get this one. He just, the, the flick or the snap of the neck as he tries to hit head the ball into the goal, it just didn't come off, and he misses well wide. He just does not get enough of the ball on that one. And again, Befica squander a very, very good opportunity to go ahead. And I really think if any one of these opportunities go in and Befica take the lead at any point here, I think this game could have easily been a 3 or 4-0 match because I think uh, Portimonides would have gone down. They would have dropped. They would have been a lot more just... uh, They just would have lost their spirit a bit. Uh, no, The way they defended and the way they came out, it was literally an all-or-nothing gamble in this one. And if they had fallen behind, I don't think there would have been a way back. Rafa gets hacked again, this time by Pedersa in the 30th. Uh, it is Casa Rafa, like, we say, like I say all the time, hunting Rafa. In the 32nd, Ay- Ay- Yilton Boromorth gets the first opportunity of the game for the Algarve side. And it's a right-footed shot from outside the box. Saved in the top left corner by Odi Lacodimos. And that was the warning shot. Benfica should have woken up at this one. And it's not that they didn't wake up. They were playing some some decent football. Okay. Benfica are doing everything except finish, and they do lack. What well, if you want to make a criticism of this match? And I saw a lot of criticism throughout the Twitter sphere, throughout the social media, throughout you know any any avenue of of communication. A lot of criticism that was unjust. Okay, again, there's a segment of the fan base that wants to turn all of this on Rui Costa, on you know this making this into something it's not, in my opinion, okay, and just never missing an opportunity to throw dirt on someone's name, okay. Whatever you believe about the interim president, as I'm recording, he is the interim president. By this time tomorrow, it that might change, um, that he'll either be the president or he won't be the president. The interim title, one way or another, is being dropped in about 24 hours. But whatever you feel about him, you know, the, that all needs to be kept in perspective and really i feel a sense of the of the fan base and it's not a large it's not a large um it's not a large portion of the fan base but there is a a faction within the fa- a fan base that is just sitting around waiting for anything to go wrong and to blame it on those in charge of the club keeping things in focus okay benfica Combine well. They combine a lot of passes. They possess the ball. They do all the things that the that the you know the analytics like. They just don't finish goal. But the one valid, getting back to my original point, the one valid criticism that I will accept and also agree with and and put forth is as the match wears on and as Benfica go longer without scoring the moment of decision also all of a sudden becomes a big factor and befica start to make poor decisions in the final moments in the final third when it's time to deliver that last ball when it's time to play it in for a finish and you can go right or you can go left the players were deciding the wrong option each time there were a lot of, and there were a lot of times they should have shot when they passed should have passed and they shot etc etc the decision making was not good in this match that in the end really I think undid Benfica and this is something that would not have happened I think if one of these early opportunities goes in the pressure's off and the thinking becomes clearer and easier the game slows down for you here as Portimonense continue to bunker down and continue to take you know their spaces and continue to cut off lanes and continue to just get bodies behind the ball. A lot most of the time all 11 behind it. Making it harder and harder. You know, Benfica when when it's an instinct play do well because they are higher level players, they are better trained, they are better athletes, they are better footballers. When it comes to instincts they are better. And they they would go through it with relative ease when it came time to make a decision, a human decision. A thought You know, when it came time to think versus time to react, Benfica often got it wrong in this one. And it just continues as we get another opportunity, but this time it gets blocked in the 33rd. It's Grimaldo with a left-footed shot from outside the box. He was set up by Weigel. Weigel, who had one of his lesser performances in this one, not the same high level we are used to seeing, but he also got yanked kind of early. I'll get to the substitutions. The players aren't the only ones, I think, that made some some poor decisions in this match. Uh, in the 34th, it's Vigel's turn to try to hit a right-footed shot from outside the box. It gets blocked as well. Just too many black-and-white striped jerseys in front of Benfica. They're not finding the space. They're not getting in behind enough. And they're shooting into people, into traffic. And it's not the ball's not making its way through. And when it does, well, like in the 34th minute, we get an out-of-this-world save from a goalkeeper that just refused to be beat on the day. In the 34th, João Mario delivers a beautiful cross to the far post, right onto the head of Nicolas Otamendi, and the captain uh, gets, gets all of it, but it is saved by Samuel Portugal once again. He gets a hand up just in time to save it. That's not the first time that Otamendi would come close in this one. In the 36, it's another save for Samuel. This time it's Grimaldo left footed shot from outside the box. Samuel goes into the upper left corner and gets this one and saves it. Very. This was that was actually off a set piece after Rafa had been hacked one more time, by this time by Lucas Pasciullo, and uh, Samuel just goes into the top corner and gets Grimaldo's free kick and puts it over for a corner. If he goes with another corner kick and another opportunity, João Mário delivers another good ball. This time, Super Jan gets a header on it, but it's saved in the top right corner. Jan Vertonghen gets a good header on it. The ball is going in the top right. These are balls that at least 7 times out of 10, 8 times out of 10, are going in. On this day, they just couldn't get these by Samuel. Portimonense get their opportunity a moment later. And it's Pedro Sá. Left-footed shot from outside the box. And this was a bottom-left save from Odisea Javlak He makes a very good save. Lucas Fernandes had set up Pedro Sá on that one. Ensuing uh, free-kick results. I mean, ensuing corner-kick excuse me, results in a foul against Portimones, And Befica are able to play out of the back once again. 40th minute. Another attempt. This one was really the one that should have gone in. This is one that Rafa puts away on even... I've always said, Rafa reacting, just like I said a moment ago, he does so much better when he has to react than when he has to stop and think about it. He combines really well here with Yadimchuk, and Yadimchuk is very, very good at combining with the other forwards. He, he does this better than anyone else on the team. He makes the simple movements. He has the vision. He gets his body in the right position to then give the ball back to his teammate in in the one twos. There's nobody better on this team, maybe nobody better in the Liga than Roman Yadimchuk at this particular facet of the game. And he combines well here, and then he puts Rafa in on break, on a break. He's in alone, and he opts to go with the right-footed shot as Samuel manages to get a hand out and to save it. It was... Uh, it was just one that you could, your eyes could fool you and think it was going in. Again, normally that decision beats the goalkeeper. On this day, it did not. Uh, a minute later, uh, frustrated Darwin Nunez fouls Kardeljush, and Darwin goes into the referee's book for a yellow card. Two minutes later, Nicholas Otamendi is fouled hard by a Yilton. Bo mort, mort goes into the book for a yellow card. 44th minute and it is Grimaldo with an opportunity, another one. And it's from the center of the box, saved once again in the top left corner. The ball just does not want to go in. Set up by Gilberto. Grimaldo again set up in the 44th, this time by Darwin. Right-footed shot, this time from outside the box, but it is blocked again. Just a wall of people every time Mefiko went to shoot. They were not able to find the spaces between them. Joao Mario has an opportunity missed in the 45th minute. Nicolas Sotomendi finds him. He picks him out. And Joao Mario has a right-footed shot from outside the box. But it's just too high. That's at 45 plus 1. At 45 plus 2, another shot blocked. This was something Portimonides did very well and deserve credit for is the amount of shots they were able to block. And they were able to get bodies in front of in this match. 45th. Um, Plus three, the referee, Fabio Verissimo, finally blows his whistle for halftime. And we get a substitution at halftime from Georges Zouche. On comes Gilles Dias, of all people. Um, Gilberto had himself a poor first half, no question about it. And he didn't seem right. So when you're out of right backs, I guess you go to a left back to play on the right. Um, he, he knew, I think, that Andre Almeida cannot go 45 minutes at this stage, nor does he offer uh, enough going forward to Benfica right now in order to be brought into a nil-nil match at that time. So, Gilles Diaz is the choice, and he does fine, actually. Gilles comes in, and he does fine on down the right, even though he's a left-footed player. Um when he played further up the pitch as an attacker he played on the right obviously as an inverted winger here he's i guess you could call him an inverted wingback but he takes the place of Gilberto and he made a few really good runs in this in this match actually Gil did um I actually I I really like this player I think he should play more to be honest I think we should we should rest Grimaldo a bit more we're running him a lot and uh I would hate to lose him for big matches and I think the I think Jill can really use the experience and I think he's really capable of doing that job very very well on the left side here he he fill, fills in on the right when there was no one else to do it and I think he did he did a, a serviceable job um we get a we get a var decision in the 51st and as rafa yeah rafa plays it through to yarimchuk and the ball goes off of the post off of samwell and into the goal uh the var brings it back and, uh, and i knew right away i looked at it live and i thought it it was going to be offside when i saw it frozen i had my doubts because again it all depends these referees in this VAR and in this league they change where where they draw the line and they change what, sometimes they're inconsistent as to what part of the attacker and what part of the defender they measure as the furthest point um depending on the angle it looked like he could have been onside but I I knew immediately knowing Fabio Verismo, knowing our history with VAR and knowing how long they look at our videos versus everyone else's, that this one was coming back. And surely it did. Um, they ruled. This is the part that makes me skeptical, and this is the part that makes it kind of um, you know, lose some credibility for me. Is when they put the measurement there. And well, I believe it was 31 centimeters or something like that. Or 30 centimeters. And it was definitely... I've seen when it's been under 10 centimeters. And I've seen now 30. And there the distance is not that different. There is not that much of a disparity in the distance. In those two different measurements. When you look at it. If that makes any sense. I mean... I don't trust those measurements, and while I do think he was probably a hair offside, not 30 centimeters, and I didn't agree with where they placed the line either when I looked at it at the time, but that's neither here nor there. That's the decision for them to make as... In the 52nd, it looked like Befica were going to f- get it again. And this time it is Otamendi with the header in the center of the box. But this one gets blocked. Rafa delivers a good cross to the Argentine's head. But it cannot find its way through the sea of Portimonense players. Portimonense give another warning shot. You can't say they didn't warn us. Uh, Odi was called on a few times. And uh, on this one, they missed the net. It is William, the center back gets a header in the center of the box, and he misses just to the left uh, as this came off a set-piece after a foul from Lucas Verissimo on Fabricio. And Lucas Ferdinand delivers the set-piece on to William and just misses to the left. Uh, Another foul committed by Lucas Ferrisio in the 55th. In the 55th, after that foul, Paulo Sergio brings on two substitutions as a double substitution. Willington Aponza replaces Fabricio, and Ivan Angulo replaces Ailton Boa Mort. And in the 56th, Yaremchuk uh, wins a free kick in the attacking half after he's fouled by Kandi. And... Benfica get nothing from it. A minute later, it's Dias who gets who gets fouled on the right wing. This leads to an attempt uh, from outside the box. Rafa setting up, setting up Grimaldo, and the left-footed shot from outside the box once again blocked. This is the story of the match, really. As much as Samuel was the figure of the match, the man of the match, um, and he made fantastic saves. You have to give the rest of the Portimonese side credit for all of these blocked shots. Uh, João Mario is, is fouled in the 59th. Carlinhos goes in the book for that foul. Uh, Lucas Passignolo with a foul in the 61st on Darwin Nunes. This is this is what they're starting to do now. They're starting to foul a lot. There's Jorge Zuz said anti-jogo, anti-football. But, you know, it's it, this isn't the first team to do this. This is clearly the blueprint in the Portuguese league um, to attack the big teams. This is clearly part of the the strategy to beat the big teams or to, to at least take points off them. But if you can know that, I, I, there's no sense in complaining about it. You knew that's what you were going to face. So, I mean, you have to work with that and you have to be able to overcome it. You know that the managers in this league are totally comfortable giving away the ball and staying organized, staying compact, and committing fouls, uh, going down, staying down when they have the ball to do anything to break up the rhythm and the momentum of the match. In the 63rd, we get a corner conceded by Lucas Verissimo. Um, At first, there was a corner conceded by Vertonghen. The ensuing corner gets conceded. By Lucas Verissimo. And that's when it fell apart. As Lucas Fernandes delivers a fantastic uh, ball from his corner on the left. Uh, on on Portionese's left. Down by Fica's right. And he finds the head of Lucas Passignolo. And it's just the way that the, the cookie crumbled in this one. He finds the space between Odie's legs. And I saw... I saw the the Twitter the Twitter sphere just explode. Everybody's all over Odie on this one. Odie has come up big so many times already this season in the first seven matches. but of course, it is the life of a goalkeeper once you you surrender a goal like this. Yeah, a lot of people blaming Odie for not punching the for not catching the original cross. he parries it away, which forces it to be put out for a corner. And as a result, now Benfica behind with 25 minutes to play. Portimonense shock us. And I really couldn't believe it at this moment. As I, I I really couldn't believe we surrendered a goal like this. Especially on a set piece. We've been so good at defending them. And again, this is a time of just confused emotions. Because on the other screen, Portugal are are ahead. I think they. this is more or less around the time they went ahead 2-0 to Argentina. Pani had just scored the second one. And you can't really enjoy that when Befica are are behind against Portimonense at home. And Jorge Jesus decides it's time to make some substitutions. So you look down the bench and you've got Pizzi. You've got Everton. You've got Rodrigo Pinho. You've got Gonzalo Ramos. You got goal scoring options. George Zuzikans calls, calls on Andre Almeida, and damn it, Adel Tarabt. Why? I lost my mind at this point. I had just been a very nice. I had complimented him in the last game, and I had said I understand why he would use Tarabt against Barcelona. No justification for bringing Adel Tarabt into this match. For Uli and Weigel of all people, and it, this is like Georges Zouj went back to his, you know, level one or level two license with this one. This is—he's playing club manager here. He's not managing an actual match. He's playing a simulation game. That's when you take the holding mid out and bring in a trap. Immediately, a huge hole forms in the middle of the pitch for us. Immediately. When I look, in Tarapt is the one sitting in front of the back three. And he's looking around right to left. He's not sure where to go. He literally, every time the ball is is with Vertonghen or with Otamendi or with Verissio, Tarapt makes this five-yard shuffle back and forth between two... Kurti players. He's not open at one end. He's not open at the other. He has no idea what movements to make in this situation. He should never be this far back the pitch. This match called for a million things. Adel Tarapto was not one of them. I'm sorry. Then, you know, almost immediately he, he loses the ball. He gives it away. And his pathetic attempt at trying to track back. He sprints about 5 or 10 meters, not even, and starts to pull up already. Starts to ease up and allows allows, uh, Pedro Sá to run at our back three. Adel does not know how to play this position. I don't care if we're losing. We cannot just throw all caution to the wind and make a huge goal in the middle of our center channel to allow the other team and invite them forward and to run at our, let's be honest, not pacey, back three. Especially if they're running at Otamendi or Vertonghen, which, again, they have Benfica well scouted. That's exactly who they want to run at. This was, I have, listen, I have been very fair to George Jesus this season. When he does well, I pointed out, I explained why he made the right decisions. Sometimes I explain away his less good decisions. There is no explaining a Delta in this in this situation. He thought that the, he was going to come on and make magic every time a Delta comes on. People get excited and think magic is going to happen. He may beat three four players. He will not, in the end, produce anything from it. He's been on this team for how long now? Dare I say it again, one goal, two assists in all these matches. One goal, two assists. Lucas Ferissimo has more goals and assists than him. Gilberto has better stats than Adel Delta Rapt. This was horrible. There is no excuse. This was horrible. 78th minute, Lucas Fernandes, right-footed shot from outside the box, misses to the left Benfica are disorganized they are all over the place uh 79th Gil Gil uh, now playing on the left now that Andre Almeida has come on and Andre Almeida had no business coming on either I if Grimaldo needs needs a substitute he was one of our best players there's a real issue with Grimaldo's fitness here okay is an international break coming. Grimaldo does not play for Spain. He does not have an international career. You have to be able to gut it out when your team is losing. I don't care how much running he had to do, and he did plenty. You have to be able to gut out the last 15 minutes. Ander Almeida brought nothing to this team. He's not useful to this team in that role his only use in this team other than being a good locker room guy and yes i respect how hard he's worked to get back on the pitch but in terms of actual productivity in terms of actual usefulness okay he's very limited he needs to he he can only really be useful as a right center a right center back in a back 3 and that is in an emergency in the 79th, Gilles Dias makes a nice run, like I said, down the left. But once again, he, he fires from outside the box, and once again, it is blocked. 79th minute, Lucas Verissimo this time gets a header from close. João Mario delivers a good cross, but Lucas does not get good contact on this one, and the ball goes wide to the right. He knew it right away. The camera zoomed in on his face, and he knew he didn't get this one quite well. And then Samuel wastes time earning, you know, earning a chorus of boos and whistles from the crowd. In fact, he would get an even louder chorus of whistles when they were trying to do the post-game flash, and he couldn't hear the question <laughs> because they were they were whistling and booing him so loud. Um, he he wastes a ton of time here, and he finally goes in Verissimo's book, Fabio Verissimo, that is, in his book in the 80th, um. In the... In the 81st, Joao Mario finds Adel Terapt. And this is the one thing he did give us in this one. A uh, right-footed shot on his weak foot. He was left wide open. And Joao Mario delivered the ball on the ground to him at the top of the box. Uh, it goes just wide. And... As as I I was watching, okay? And as I saw the ball coming to Adel Terapt, I see it's lining up on his right foot. And I'm not confident, but... I'm saying, come on, Adele, make me eat my words. Please, just make me eat crow once, Adele. Just once. And he he got close, but it was a little bit too high. (laughs) 83rd minute, and this was the one. Again, it's Nicolas Sotomendi. He worked so hard in this match uh, at both ends of the pitch. This is off a corner. The ball, the original corner is delivered, and... I think it's Jan that gets a header to it. It might have been Lucas Verissimo. It gets blocked again. Squirts out to the left side of, or at least to Mefica's left, on the edge of the goal area, on the edge of the six yard box. Okay. And it comes to Nicolas Altamendi. The goal is open because Samuel had come out to try to defend uh, the corner, and he was. You know, the deflection had beaten him, but it had gone wide to where Nicolas Otamendi is. Otamendi plays it with the, his right foot exactly like you're supposed to. Maybe he should have lifted it up. That's the only thing that maybe he could have done different. But again, had he lifted it and it hit the bar or went over or been headed off the line, we would have set off. Oh, he'd put it on the ground. It would have gone in. He goes for the ground, and it is cleared literally off the goal line by William. A a fantastic block. Uh it was so so close to to being the equalizer. And I think if we equalize in the eighty third, I think there's a chance we could we could have still stolen all three points here, because I think the pressure that it would have put Portimonense under would have been immense and the stadium would have erupted. Eighty fourth, another opportunity. Guess what? It's blocked. This time it's Lucas Verissimo's header. João Mario again delivering a good cross. And the the chances keep on coming in the 86th. It's a header from Rafa, but he heads it just too high. Heading not exactly his strong point, but a good run down the left from Darwin that crosses it. Rafa gets on the end of it, but he puts it just too high. Finally, the kid gets a chance here in the 86th. JJ sends on Gonzalo Ramush for Lucas Verissimo. And now having Under Almeida on the pitch is useful as he slides into Lucas Verissimo's spot. Um, but, again, <laughs> it's another opportunity and um, squandered. <laughs> in the 88th, we get another substitution. I think J.J. left this too late, and I don't even agree with this one. I think we're at the stage of this match and the final moments. Again, I don't care how tired somebody is when there's two, three minutes left to go. You have a target man in the box in Roman Yadimchuk that is doing things. You know you have to deliver balls into the box now. You know you're going to have to cross and they're not going to necessarily be from good angles. It makes no sense to take out a Roman Yadimchuk and replace him with an Everton. Moving Darwin to the center striker position and putting Everton out left, obviously, because Everton's not going to play as a lone striker. Darwin is not very good in that role. Okay, that's not his game. He has not developed that aspect of his game yet. This is George Zeus just trying anything at this point, just throwing it on the wall and seeing what sticks. Again, this is playing football manager. This is just making moves. On a computer and hoping that it leads to some sort of, you know, some sort of result. Uh, Gil Diaz is taken down in the 89th in by William. Yellow card to William. Nothing comes of the free kick, however. And we get a substitution in the 90th plus two. It is Philippe Relves replacing Lucas Fernandes for Portimonense. In the ninetieth plus three, it's Gonzalo Ramos with a right-footed shot inside the six-yard box. It's blocked. Once again, another blocked shot by Portimonense, and there was contact on this one. This looked like it could have been a penalty. I, okay, I understand it not being called, but this—a very referee, this Fabio Verissimo—has given less has called a penalty for less for a certain Iranian striker that can find water in a desert to dive into. He's from the desert, and he finds water even in the desert to dive into. Okay? This very referee has called less than this a penalty for other teams. This pisses me off. This really aggravates me. It's not that he didn't call it. It's that... I shouldn't say it's not that it wasn't called, it's that he did not call it because I have with my own eyes seen him call a penalty for less. Not even a review. Had that been in our box, had that been our rivals, there would have been a review. Now, that said, uh, you know, the Iranian striker did go in the book and get sent off this weekend for. Doing exactly that, looking for water in the desert, taking a dive. But uh, this referee would have given it to him. Not to our guy, obviously. And, uh, you know, again, it's just impossible. to. It seems impossible to get a goal. We get a corner, though, and Dromati delivers it. And it's a header from Darwin in the box. Guess what? Blocked. Otamendi with another opportunity in the 90th plus 4. Blocked. Perhaps this is the one that was saved off the goal line. I thought it was the one in the 84th. It could have been this one in the 90th plus 4. Former Benfica Youth Academy product Enrique Joku comes on. For Ivan Angulu in the 90th plus 5. 90th plus 6. It's Gilles left-footed shot from the center of the box. At home, you know what's coming next. Blocked. And Fabio Verissimo blows his whistle for full time at 90 plus 8. 90 plus 8. And the expression Elder Conduto used right away was that we could be there all night. Could be there till midnight. And the ball was not going to go in on this day. It feels that way. It seems that way. Not enough scrutiny on, on the potential penalty kick, in my opinion, on this referee. He's getting off scot-free. I really believe referees should have to... They should have to go in front of the press and answer questions, just like managers and players do. Because there's, I want him to explain how this is not a penalty, but others that he have given are. I want him to explain why, when it's... Other circumstances where the VAR is there for five, six minutes, and when it's a potential penalty kick in our in our favor, I don't think it took more than thirty seconds. I don't even know. I didn't even see the lance Analizado or lance anales. the The play is under review on the screen like you normally see. I don't like it. I I don't like this referee. I don't ever want to see him referee Benfica again. And you know we'll have him again at some point. Alright, let's take a look at the goal point then. Portimonense win 1-0. Portimonense's team rating averaged 6.23. They got high ratings, mostly for what they did on the defensive side of the ball. Their expected goals, the XG for Portimonense 0.2. Yes, you heard me right, 0.2. They managed to, to get one. Samuel Portugal eight point six man of the match on on goal point uh Moufi six point three Lucas uh sorry Lucas was a six point five uh Lucas Fernandes was a six point one Willian five point three Pedro Sas 7.2 Pedrão 6.9, Falicande 6.2, Fabrício 5.6, Ayilton Boamort 5.2, and Carlinhos 5.1 off the bench. Aponza 4.9, Angulo 4.9. Befica. Odi gets a 5.6. He didn't. He made a couple saves, but that goal definitely knocks that down. Gilberto 5.7, Lucas Verissimo 5.8, Otamendi with a very good 7.1. Rating as, same for Vertonghen 7.1. Grimaldo is Benfica's highest-rated player at 7.3. Yet J.J. substituted him off and brought on Andre Almeida. That one is not going to make sense to me unless he was injured. But even then, it should not be Andre Almeida coming on. In these circumstances, I I just I can't believe I. I can't believe what I saw here. Um, Dromadiu six point two, Weigel had a disappointing five point seven, Rafa six point six, Gilberto five point seven. Uh, I think I already said that. Yaremchuk five point seven, Darwin four point six. And to some of you, he sucks again. Um, I've really had to mute a lot of people on Twitter. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I'm giving a lot of people timeouts. <laughs> Uh, the the bipolar nature in which they view our players, how how someone can go from being good one day to being a flop the other, to being world class, to being in the in the eyes of, or I should say, in the sights of Manchester City and Barcelona and and Chelsea, and then others who say he couldn't play for Casapio or he can't play. In the not even in the in the strital, it, it's such a uh, there's such exaggeration all around when it comes to this team from some people. Oh, it's just it's a frustrating thing to to witness. Uh, Gilles Diaz, six point six off the bench. He like I said, he had a good game. Uh, Andreal made a four point nine, and Tarap somehow managed a five um, I guess he only lost the ball three or four times instead of twenty-four times. I don't know. I don't know what what what. Sometimes it, these ratings uh, leave some to be desired. Let's look at the stats. All right, and <laughs> we have shots twenty-four to five in favor of Benfica. Seven of them on on goal, so seven saves for. Samuel Portugal, yes, that is another place we can point. But it's misleading misleading again because that means that 17 shots were not on goal. Of those 17, at least 10 were blocked. They were not bad misses. They were blocked. Actions in the opponent's area, the opponent's penalty area, I've never seen this statistic with a number this high. Fifty-five actions in Portimonense's uh, penalty area by Benfica to five for Portimonense. Thirteen corners for Benfica to four. Benfica eighty-three percent efficient on the pass, seventy-one percent efficient on the vertical. Each team had seven defensive actions in the opponent's midfield. Another high number higher than I don't know the last time I saw a number this high in this statistic either. Uh, fouls committed, is 22 fouls committed. Benfica had 14 of their own. 68 to 32 in terms of possession in favor of Benfica. And just moving on and moving ahead, I mean an absolute just one-sided match with the exception of what's on. The score sheet, of course. A little more statistics. Benfica, 411 accurate passes. That's a very high number as well. Um, I'm looking for blocked shots. Here we go. Blocked. Benfica, had, I was close. 11 blocked shots. So, 7 on goal, 11 blocked. That means 6 missed the goal. 16 shots from inside the box by Benfica. Not much else to say. I mean that's it, it is a difficult result to swallow but it is the result. Let's take a look then at the table. Benfica are still top of the table, 21 points from 8 matches. 19 goals for, 5 against, still the best attack in the league and only one goal uh one goal below or one goal more than the best defense in the league which currently belongs to Sporting. So Benfica 21 Porto have 20 points, their second. Sporting have 20 points. They also they also have 20 points, I should say. Uh, but Porto have the head-to-head advantage right now, having drawn with goals on the road. Isturil are right now the sensation of the season, and they are in fourth place with 15 points from four matches. Portimones climbed to fifth. This team we played here. Uh, these three points have had them leapfrogging Braga as Braga continued to drop points. Uh, speaking of Braga, they're 6th on 13 points, like we said, dropped points again this week. Their Minou rivals, Vitória Guimaraes, are 7th with 10. They're starting to climb up. Uh, Pepa is uh, starting to get, I think, more out of his players. He's starting to know his team better. And they've had decent performances, and I think they're starting to get the results here. Uh, they have two wins right now. Picked up a win against another Minu side this past weekend, of course, Famalicão. ninth place belongs to Gil Vicente right now with 9 points. Also with 9 points, Tondela in 10th and Pasos de Ferreira in 11th. Vizela, the promoted side, are 12th with 8 points. Maritimo, 13th with 7. Moreirense also with 7. They're 14th. Santa Clara. Let's talk Santa Clara for just about a minute here. Um, they're fifteenth right now. They're out of the drop zone. Six points. They pick up a. Uh, I believe they picked up a win. I'll run down the results in just a moment. Um, they uh, lost their manager this week. Daniel Ramush resigned early in the week, saying it was a uh, it was an offer that he couldn't too good to pass up. Daniel Ramos had an offer that was too good to pass up. And he leads you to believe that there's a great opportunity coming. And I'm wondering, oh, he must be going to. Maybe he's going to Spain. Maybe he's getting a big team in Turkey or Greece, I'm thinking. Or in one of the smaller leagues, he's getting a, you know, a Champions League or a Europa League quality team. He's going to the Middle East. Daniel Ramos loses some credibility with me here. Yes, I know he's probably getting a huge wage, and he's probably going to be set for life, and he can take care of his family now. But if you're going to say it's too good to to pass up, make sure you mention it's the the money is what's too good to pass up, not the job, not the project, not the team, not the league that you're going to. Daniel Ramos jumps ship. After Santa Clara bow out of Europe and struggle to get out of the relegation zone. They are out of it now, for now. And he says, yeah, this isn't for me anymore. And he goes to the Middle East for the almighty petrodollar. Oroca now in 16th in the relegation playoff spot. They have five points. Bulanis, Saad are in 17th. Code City have four points. And Fumalico continue to be at the bottom of the table with just three points. Um, yeah, it's it's. I got a little maybe I I got a little too emotional there, or a little too uh, almost took personally that Daniel Ramush left Santa Clara to go to the Middle East. I mean, that's it's it. I I don't even have the words for it. I mean the money the oil money in this in this sport right now is starting to get to be too much and you know the news obviously yesterday of Newcastle United in England being purchased by you can say what you want you can call it whatever you want it was purchased by the kingdom of saudi arabia it was not yeah private investment fund okay of which is chaired by the Crown Prince himself. I don't like the direction our game is going. I'm going to be honest. I, I don't. I'm nervous about what the next 10, 15 years are going to look like, what the game's going to look like in 10 or 15 years. We're talking about World Cups every two years, we're talking about <laughs> implementing stop clocks. You know, keeping official time on a clock, not on the referee. We're talking about all of these things I thought were out of my life because these were all the things Major League Soccer wanted implemented into the global game 20 years ago when it started. And I thought I'd never have to hear those things again. And now it's European and it's it's world football talking about it. We got still talk of Super League everywhere. I don't like this. I really am nervous as, uh, that we're going to lose this game at some point in my lifetime. Um, that it's going to be unrecognizable. And um, hopefully I'm being, you know, dramatic about it. But uh, I am very anxious about what is ahead for the game of football. The game I love so much. So the results in round 8 will go around the league real quickly. Maritimo Morires 0-0 nil, nil on October the 1st. Fumli one Vitória Mirage two Vizela, won, Santa Clara won. So it, it was not a win. It was a draw that pulled Santa Clara out of the relegation zone before Daniel Rums ran after the almighty Petrodollar. Porto get lucky and come from behind to win two to one. And Sporting also score late to win two to one over Oroca. Sunday's matches Bisad where was their home where was their home pitch this week? There's, they're a team that literally has their house on their back. And they, they're they a vagabond team now. They were in Ladio once again at the Magalhães Soa uh, They lose 2-0 to Tondela. Mefica, as we know, lose 1-0 at home to Portimonense. Istril 2, Gil Vicente 2. And Braga 2, Boavista 2. So next uh, round's fixtures. Not until the weekend of the 22nd and the 23rd because... Next weekend, after the international break, we have uh we have the third round of the TASA. and every team in the Liga Portugal is or the Liga B win first division, whatever you want to call it, is involved in this round of the TASA. But when we come back on Friday, October the twenty second, Vitória Guimarães host Marítimo at the Dom Afonso Santa Clara host Famalicão, Tondela host Porto, Sporting host Morirense. And then on Sunday, October the twenty-fourth, passage host OROCA, our Benfica will travel up north to Vizela, and we will play the promoted side in. We played there a couple seasons ago in the Tasa, and now they have a remodeled stadium that is ready uh, for our for us for our rival. Expect a huge, huge, pro Benfica crowd in that one, and then. Portimonense hosts Estrela in the late one that day. Then two games on Monday because this is Liga. Not, this is Liga B win. Gil Vicente hosts Braga in their usual Monday spot. Of course, Braga is playing in the Europa League. I think the Europa League is preceding uh, these matches, and that's why it's a Monday match. But it's another Minu derby. Gil Vicente versus Braga, and then Boavista hosts BeSAD at the BESA. All right leading goal scorers as they stand right now. It is Portus Luiz Diaz in the lead with six goals. Gil Vicente's friend Navarro has five, and then we have a whole host of players. We have eight players with four goals. I'm not going to read them all. That's where we stand right now in the Liga B-Win Portugal or the Liga Portugal B-Win. However you want to say it, I'll get it right one of these days. Okay, we're going to take our final break here. And on the other side, I will give my thoughts on yesterday's debate. Uh, By the time you hear this, it will be Saturday. Um, So I guess today's election, I'll give my thoughts. I won't be too long. There's not too much to say. Um, It was not much of a debate, let's be honest. But I'll talk about it on the other side. This is Mr. Befica. I'm the Mr. Mike Agustinio. Follow me on Twitter at Mike MikeAgustinio. That's at M-I-K-E-A-G-O-S-T-I-N-H-O. And follow the show. At Benfica, Mister. At uh, Benfica, Mister. Like I just said, and also check out www.misterbenfica.com. And again, you can watch the entire, entire Women's Champions League opener, Benfica versus Bayern Munich from the Seychelles earlier this week. I've got the entire video of the match for as long as the zone keeps it on YouTube. It will be on my page, and you can watch it there. And uh Enjoy the match. Okay, we'll be right back, and we'll talk about the debate. Uh, the big good trip. back. <laughs> yeah. That you spit, you spit, that good chip, that you spit, you spit, you speak, you speak. I hate the music business, the way you're bully's gifted All the switch from being honest to cool and distant New but not truly different We got a ruling really misfits, players and jocks While we playing the part of the cruelest bitches. Ain't a high school movie, had a brace like duty When the news hit him, only if you will listen Cause there ain't nothing new about the facts a life, dude do, so why don't you sit calm, if the shoe fits on Why don't you kick some, How that good shit That you spit, amusement fun They get you sick for two spins at music, 101 It gets fun in the club, I'm done, I gonna make my flow dumb, go write a hit song Fight over. So many idols come, so many idols go, but in the end, man, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Welcome back to the final segment of this episode 128 of Mr. Benfica. Quick programming note, uh, episode 129 will be on the way very soon. Uh, it'll come to you this weekend, either most likely sometime Sunday if and Monday. The latest, I'm going to review... Uh, I'm going to review tomorrow or at least recap tomorrow's uh, women's match between Befica and Maritimo on the island on Madeira. And then I will will, uh, react to the results of the election, assuming we know the final results. I think we will. Um, And that election is, you know, the segue into this segment. We're going to talk about the debate. Now, I'm going to start by saying I was fairly disappointed with this debate. Um, I remember right away, this reminded me way too much of a political debate. Okay. And let me be honest with everybody. I absolutely hate is not a strong enough word. I abhor politics. It brings out the worst in people. It brings out the absolute worst in people. I hate election years. I understand they're important. I understand they're necessary. Yes, I, I believe democracy is the best system we have, but it's far from a perfect system. But the way people get wrapped up into it and the, the monsters it turns everybody into, I just, I, I don't want to talk to anybody during these periods. And again, I was on Twitter talking to a few of you yesterday, but I had to mute half of my my follows half of the people on my timeline i had to mute them because it was nothing but insults being hurled back and forth back and forth and it just reminds me of a political election and it was now it's nasty between the two different ideologies we have in this club and again like in most elections okay and again, I hate politics, but I understand politics much more than maybe I let on because I hate to talk about it. I don't like I don't like it at all. I think it's a it, 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 lifelong politicians to me are maybe the worst form of people on this earth. They have the most potential and they do the least with it. And just about I won't say all, but too many of them become far too corrupt in the same is true in football and unfortunately it is the loud people on the two extremes that make all the noise when I think the majority of people don't get into the noise and they fall somewhere in the middle and they're trying to listen and trying to figure out what the best option is I put out a tweet asking um, I just said I'd be interested to get any undecided voters opinion on th- points that the candidates were making A few of you said are you kidding this is twitter nobody's undecided and it's true and i had some good conversations with some good with some reason good level-headed people all right and i i enjoyed the conversations i had with good level-headed people yesterday okay um I did. I enjoyed a lot of those conversations. And, you know, it was the ones I was not having conversations with. And I'm telling you, it, it, they're not even listening to anything either one of these candidates is saying. The minds were made up. No, this debate was not a waste of time. Yes, it was absolutely necessary and essential, it had to happen because it should have been happening all along it's an embarrassment that it took 20 years or whatever to get a presidential debate for the biggest club in Portugal by far and one of the biggest in the world unfortunately this it's just there are people that cannot accept other people's opinions, okay, and this was very difficult for me to to sift through while trying to get people's well-thought-out opinions, okay. Um, I thought the guys at Benfica Independent, okay, uh, Nun Picado and Baquero Philippe English, did a phenomenal job after the debate, and it was late, it was 11.30 p.m. their time, 6:30 here for me as I watched live, and along with about 560 other people, and uh, I thought they did such a good job breaking this down point by point, point by point. I'm not going to do that here tonight, okay? Um, I my voice is starting to to get raspy, and again I haven't felt well this week, so I'm I'm get back on my feet. I'm feeling better, but my voice is still recovering. Um. And I've been talking for over an hour now um, but but I'm not gonna go through point by point. I'm just gonna gonna give you my reaction, my thoughts um, what I still remember twenty four hours later because that's important because what 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 impression did it leave other than the fact that a, a lot of fans just cannot state their opinion without hurling personal insults. At the people who disagree with them. It, 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 is, it is very, very frustrating to try to have level-headed conversations about these things. And this is why we have the world we have in the society we have. Sport clearly mimics society. This club is a microcosm of the world right now. And you have loud extremes making a lot of noise. While level-headed, thoughtful ideas in the middle somewhere, are getting drowned out. I do understand it's it comes from a place of passion, and I do believe that both extremes in this case want what's best for the club. You know my policy. I do not endorse any candidate because I think that's dishonest, and I think that that, puts, um, that creates a conflict of interest, and that turns me into a propaganda arm, and that's everything I set out not to be. Okay? And, um, especially in terms of telling sausage where to vote or who to vote for. For full disclosure, okay, um, I am sauce you now, okay, I am, <laughs> that's my full disclosure, um, okay, I became a Saucyus in the last 12 months, okay, I, don't believe I don't believe I'm eligible to vote in this one because it hasn't been in a full year. Uh, I was not sauce you last year. OK, and um, I did become one after the last election saying that I wasn't going to sit any more of these out and um, just to be up front. OK. Uh, I honestly am. My thoughts on the two candidates, okay? It, it is hard to look at Rui Costa as someone other than the player I grew up idolizing. And I'm I am doing my best to to remove that, okay? This is a different role. This asks this calls for different skills. This calls for different, you know, set of ideals even I really was interested to get to know more about Francisco Benitez because it's not well publicized okay this this was thrown together very quickly. If you want to know, I am sauceu two six eight eight four five okay just for full disclosure um i was I came into this debate hopeful because I wanted to hear what both of them had to say. I wanted to hear what ideas they had they had for how to improve this club. I didn't want to hear bickering and accusations. I know there's an elephant in the room. So Benítez comes out of the gate, you know, obviously he's going to talk about the past president and Rui Costa's connections to him. There that that had I'm glad it got out of the way early. But Rui Costa was was clearly prepped for this by most likely people that would have prepped you know, public relations people, specialists, um, who knew probably all of the attacks that, that, or I shouldn't say attacks, that's a harsh word, but they did become attacks. But the strong points that uh, Benitez made, this didn't get na- as nasty as it could have. I will admit this, this did stay re- reasonably civil. But there was a lot of underhanded, or I should say backhanded and passive-aggressive Insults thrown, okay, rather than sticking to issues and, and where they stand on how to fix them, okay. The moderator was Luis Costa Branco from BTV. He had a hard job. Um, I think he kept it from turning into Trump versus Clinton, <laughs> to be honest. It didn't turn into a boxing match, so he gets credit for that. Rui Costa spoke for about seven minutes more. That's you know kind of on the moderator, but again, um, these that maybe one of the hardest things to do is to moderate a debate like this on television, no less live. There was no crowd, or, or it would have been even worse. I can't even imagine if they did this in front of a studio audience. I cannot even imagine. I think there would have been fights right in the studio. I I do believe that there there could have been violence if if supporters of the two sides were in too close proximity to each other. Um so I thought the moderating, you know, the mo- he did as well as he could. Now he has a background in news. He's not just a BTV reporter. He he works for one of the other stations as well as a news source. And actually, I will tell you which one right now just again for transparency's purpose. Uh, I'm pulling up his Instagram page right now. I think he lists it here. Oh, uh, he just says Jornalista. Okay, so he says he just says he's a journalist. But I think, I can't remember which Portuguese. He's worked for SIC Noticias before. Um, he obviously works for BTV. He's been at BTV ever since I've had BTV. But even before that, I remember him at one of the other networks. I don't remember if it was RTP. I don't remember if it was... If it was TVE, like I said, he's worked at Seek, uh, Seek Noticias. So uh, he has a long career behind him. Okay, He's an experienced journalist, a true journalist. So I think the club or BTV, whoever made the decision that he was going to moderate, made the right decision there. He He was the right person to sit between these two guys and to ask the right questions. That said... Kasha did get a lot more time to talk. Benitez did not make the most of his opportunities. Okay, but then again, I really have a problem with people paying more attention to the fact that Benitez is ruffling through papers, looking at notes, than the fact, or I should say, than the content of what he's saying, the the substance to his his viewpoints and to his ideas. When you cast your ballot tomorrow, and this is, this is a problem people make in, in, in political elections, in, in local elections, in civic elections, in club elections, whatever, fraternal elections, in whatever organization you are part of and you have to be elected to something. Um, when we still had here in the United States, we used to have an organization called the Portuguese American Coaches Uh, Soccer Coaches Association, PASCA, P-A-S-C-A, Portuguese American Soccer Coaches Association. I was unanimously elected as the the treasurer two years before we had to be disbanded by the National Coaches Association because we didn't fit the criteria or something. But regardless, and honestly, (laughs) people pick who they vote for Based on their public speaking ability, which in my opinion is practically irrelevant to the job that you are picking them to do. Okay, yes, you got to be a good speaker, but honestly, again, I live in the United States. And this, I'm not going to, this has nothing to do with my political opinion, okay, or my viewpoints. But the president of the United States is a terrible speaker. Clearly, that didn't stop his people from voting for him. okay? But most cases, the better speaker wins. And it's not a speaking job. Speaking is part of the job, but it is not a speaking job. That's not the bread and butter of the job, especially when it comes to running a sports club, not a football club. Again, another thing I'm really bothered by here that's come out of this is the emphasis on the football team. I know that's where the money comes in and out of. I understand that. But this is sport, Lisboa, Benfica. It is not football, Lisboa, Benfica. Okay? There are hundreds of athletes under our banners. In all levels. And of all abilities, to be honest. There are questions of what is the equivalent to an Olympic training center. A high performance training center that the club... Both sides of this debate believe needs to be built. There are athletes in a wide array of sports, okay? There are supporters for all these sports. This is a club. This is not a team. And the focus is very heavy on male football players, okay? And when convenient, they use the other sports to back a point. Okay, so that is the first thing that gets to me a little bit is that 75% of the people that vote are voting solely on the performance of the football team on the pitch because I'm going to tell you right now, Rui Costa is going to win this election in a landslide. And I'm not a rocket scientist. Everyone pretty much has conceded that. If Benfica's men's football team We're not in the Champions League. We're in 5th place right now. 10 points behind Porto. It doesn't matter what any other teams are doing in the club. It doesn't matter if the books are good. It doesn't matter if nothing else within the club would matter. Ricosta would, would lose to anybody tomorrow if that were the case. I don't think that's the best way to select people to run the entire club. I think Benitez has good ideas, and he's not good at delivering them. I think Benitez made mistakes in this debate, especially bringing up the João Felix transfer. That was a huge mistake. That made him look like a fool. Even though I understood what he was trying to say, and I even agree with the point he was trying to make. The examples he used, the example was not good. We sell too many of our youth players. Yes, we, sell, we undersell too many of our youth players is what I mean to say. That's where the point should have been. Players that could be in our B team. Players that could have late bloomers. That could come through in a year or two. We let go because the coach today doesn't like them. He made a good point, and R- Rikasha did a good job to deflect it. Okay. He wants a philo- a club philosophy. Jug. Okay. He used the wrong word. This was the problem. He called it. He used the term profil jog playing profile, the game profile, or better that's a poor translation. That's how it directly translates. Better say a system of play, okay, or a philosophy is really what he means. Should be set by the club and then a manager that fits it. And Rui Costa intelligently said, oh, so you're also going to, you know, says, so you as president are also going to set the, you know, the system of play on the pitch. That's not what he meant. I think what he meant is, the club needs it needs an identity. And a manager needs to work within that for the long-term health of the club. And I said this. Okay, he's made points. And listen, I'm not saying to go vote for him. Okay, I'm not endorsing. But he has made points I have made on this very show over the course of the last 127 episodes at one time or another. Benitez said that the club needs, or he tried to say that the club needs an identity and the coach needs to work within that. I agree with that because we can't change our system of play. We can't change our ideology, our philosophy. Every time we get a new first team manager, we have a pyramid. The first team is at the top. The youth teams are, you know, down the, down the chain. For years with this manager, who I am not putting in question, by the way. Again, I think I have been very, very fair to JJ this season. In his first stint as our manager. Okay. And I understand his job is also to, to win. It is not to integrate young players into the system. But there was a huge problem. There was a huge disconnect we were raising youth teams from ages what 6 to 20 right let's just say to make numbers easy 6 to 19 years old to play a certain way in a certain system if you want to keep it about football but this this actually is transparent in every sport this point is something that should be the club should implement in every sport with the people responsible for each individual sport of course a system of play, an identity, a philosophy needs to be developed. I agree with that. At that time, under George Azuz's first stint, okay, our youth teams were playing one game, and our first team was playing a completely different game. What happened is when J.J. left... Rui Vitória came in and was told, "Now you got to get with the system. The last guy got to do whatever you wanted. He wanted to do. You don't get that privilege. You're not George Sougs. You don't have his CV. You didn't win us, you know, two titles. At least he hadn't yet." Um. And Rui Vitória said, "Okay, okay." They told him, "You're not getting money to get players like the last manager did. You're gonna have to promote from within." And he said, "Okay." And he won two titles. Now, again, being a results-oriented club in a results-oriented business, that model had to be abandoned. Okay? And I think it was prematurely abandoned. I don't the problem I see in this club is it in the last ten years, we have shifted between two extremes, just like our fan bases are sitting on two extremes. We've been all or nothing in when it comes to the integration of academy players. There are going to be seasons where you don't have any academy players to promote. The idea that the previous president told Juvitaria and BruLage that every year X amount of players are going to come in is wrong. You're not going to have players. They don't just have to be talented. They have to also be ready. And you're not going to have that every single year you could go two or three years with no one to promote with the amount of teams with a b team with a u23 team okay there is a place to keep players at least until they mature and players don't mature at the same age not everyone and very few are joan felix not everyone is ruben Dias. okay the more common player is like Jetson, is like Thiago Dantes, is like Jota, okay? Is like Gonzalo Guedes, even, who broke through early, but has had a rough time of it since, okay? It's rare to get a guy that goes from the B team into the first team, right into the 11 and makes a difference, okay? Those are once in a, you know, once in a every couple season type of player. Uh, João Félix, Ruben Dias. Um, Renato Sanchez, okay, those three come to mind. Now, Gonzalo Ramos gets the, ex- he's unfortunately getting that expectation, okay. And you have to have a, there has to be continuity in the system if you want to promote from within. And unfortunately, the way the economics of the game of football are going, we're going to have to promote from within. I hate to break it to you. <laughs> this bubble's getting bigger. We are not going to be able to compete for transfers with teams from bi- for, with clubs from much bigger economies. How much longer do we think that we are going to be able to financially compete with big clubs from say the Turkish league? Okay, they are much bigger economic center uh, countries, okay? Much more population Yes, we are a team with great supporters and many supporters around the world. That's something a lot of teams don't have. Imagine if every Benfica was a socio. We would have more financial power, but again, that's off the point. You look at teams as more and more billionaires, not millionaires, billionaires are buying teams in other countries where they don't have to answer to Sausage, okay? And you could say that's great. Newcastle United just became the latest petrodollar uh, billionaire-owned team. In t- In five years, do you think we can realistically compete with Newcastle United for even our own youth players if we have one talented enough? It's not possible, okay? And these teams are not going away. They're not going to go under. There's so much money back in them. There's going to be more and more of them. There's going to be a new one every year, okay? And we will never be that, and that's good. I don't ever want to be that. Let me state that, okay? This club needs a philosophy, and I agree with what Benitez was trying to say. This may get me some heat from you guys. and I, Listen, it's just my opinion. Just like each and every one of you have your own. You obviously, if you listen to me, you want to hear my opinion. My opinion is that he was right about this. Huy Koshla was very, very intelligent and very quick. And he quickly turned it right back on Benitez. And Benitez didn't know what to do. And he did this a couple times in the debate. We cannot change our identity every time we get a new manager. And I'm not talking about 3-4-3 three, three versus 4-4-2. Four, four, no, I'm talking about... Do we? You look at our rivals again. They have a clear identity. They have a certain type of player. We are developing a certain type of player... But our first team is not necessarily in that image. I agree that I think there needs to be more continuity. I, the model of Ajax. I like Bayern. I love the way Bayern runs their club. I really think that the club's board and the club's staff, coaching staff included, should be visiting Bayern, learning from them, developing a good relationship with them. Rather than spending money competing with billionaires in a global market for South American players, for example, not just to single them out, okay? Rather than doing that, I think we would be much better served buying players from our own league, or at least players with roots in our league, from other teams, from our, from our direct rivals. Look at who some of the key players in this team are today. Okay, Diogo Salvage is one of our homegrown players, but then we went and bought him back from where? From Famalicão. I think that the best player on Braga should always be a possibility to go to Benfica. The best player on Vitória Guimarães should always be a possibility to go to Benfica. Look at who our best signing was this offseason. Joao Mario, where did he come from? Not who owned him, but what team and what league was he playing in last year? Because you, you, you accomplish two things, and Bayern does this better than anybody. You weaken your rival and strengthen yourself at the same time. Even the most hardened, fervent, Sportingista, deep down, knows... That by signing João Mario, we made them weaker and us stronger. It was a double whammy. Why can't? Why can't? Why have we never tried to force a buyout clause on a Porto player or a Sporting player, like a a a Bruno Fernandes, okay, a Luis Diaz? Porto are giving players away. They cannot resign their players. They cannot compete financially. I'm not saying I want Tito Corona in our team, but why is someone like that not, why are we not at least, at least putting pressure on them? Making, waving that carrot. Okay? I think would be beneficial. And, These are players that know our league. They have quality. They have experience. They have experience in Europe. Remember, Otamendi brought so much to this team in terms of experience, in terms of fight. He brought a piece of what... How do I say this? He brought one of the advantages Porto has had on us for years and instantly reduced the gap. Okay, now they want to get physical. They got to answer to him. Okay. I'm not saying we're going to get one every year, but we should be making them afraid that if their players' contracts come close to the end, that Benfica is going to be there knocking on the door. And we're going to say, hey, look look at Otamendi. Look at Joao Mario. Look how their careers have been reborn playing for us. That can be you that can be you Luis Diaz, if that's what we need and that's the other thing we need to do and I got and and I give Rui the credit in this realm and he mentioned this that he brought in seven signings this season that are all impact what he meant by impact means they play people were ridiculing this online saying that Mete is not an Mete is an impact player in the context that he was using it Mete is on the first team and playing because the Point being made by Benitez was that Jucastra signs a hundred players to loan away, in who never play for Benfica. This was the philosophy of of uh, Luis Felipe Viera years ago, and we've reduced this over the years of just signing up player after player after player, and then loaning them out three to Fomalicao, three to Stuba, you know, wherever uh four to the to the championship two to nottingham forest two to uh, two to wolves at the time you know hull city you want one that's that's how we were doing things and because he was there Costa has to you know he has to shoulder the criticism of his former boss it, it, it it's he was there and he was the face being put at that time at the front of the football team so I think he made good points. The problem was he did, and he, I mean Benitez, he did not deliver them well. Hui Costa made a huge gaffe that was not capitalized on. He said that the previous president left for personal reasons. GTFO, he left in handcuffs. Metaphorically and literally, practically. He he you know was put under house arrest he is going to show up tomorrow at the at the stadium to cast his vote why he was not banned from this club i don't know well i do know because his his, his... His staff is still in power, and I understand that's a lot of why people want Rikoshta out, regardless of what he says, regardless of what ideas he wants to implement, and regardless of what he's done in the last three months, which any fair person will say he's done well these three months, for the football team at least. Um, we don't really pay much attention to the other one, not to the details, okay? Um, and I feel for, for those athletes and for those coaches who's you know not being heard because as someone living in America and being in, in very involved at, for much of my life in football you know i we were always the back seat okay i worked in programs where we were literally the last priority there was basketball there was ice hockey american football especially american football the the bulk of athletic budgets in schools in this country go to American football. Baseball gets their share. Basketball, in this part of the United States, ice hockey. And then there's everybody else. And, you know, you're you're fighting for scraps with tennis and with uh, track and field and cross country, which is another sport I coached <laughs> at the same time. Let that sink in. I coached two sports at the same time for almost a decade. Um you know you you're fighting with with volleyball, you're fighting with with sports you know for funding that And its scraps. So I empathize very much with the modalidad in that result. I have strong passion for the women's team you you guys know that you hear it from me. they need to get out of Tapadinha. This did not really get addressed. And it should have. They need to get out of the Tapadina. Uh, Benitez said that he want that they belong at the Seychelles and not at the new, the new high performance center. I agree. There's good re- uh, Someone made a good point to me. Um, hello, it was Dave, uh, at Moon Dog X. I I believe is his handle, and he made a good point that uh, maybe it's not a good idea to have the male athletes and female athletes in the same facility. That's a good idea but you can build separate facilities on that campus, okay? You can you can separate them. You can put distance between them for the safety of the athletes. I, I agree that that especially with what's being uncovered here in the United States right now in the National Women's Soccer League, okay, if you don't know, look it up. It, it is disgusting what has been allowed to transpire here. You don't want that at the club. You don't want that in society, much less at the club. So I understand that, and um, but I don't think that that's their their motivation. Um, there maybe they're maybe the plan is to use the women's football team uh, as a as a as a motivation to fans to get behind the project of a high performance center. Not every fan likes the idea of developing sport athletes to world-class levels so that they can go compete for someone else after. Because in Portugal, you you know, Namias Kita is in the NBA now. You know, he's in camp with Sacramento. Benfica don't see a dime. And he came through Benfica's youth team. Okay. Um, Pablo Pichardo competes for Benfica, but he competes for Red Bull. He competes for for Puma, I think. Maybe it's Nike. I don't remember exactly which... which uh, shoe company he also competes for. Okay, all the money that he generates is not coming to Benfica for the most part. I get that. But the club is also a community. I wanted to hear these candidates talk about how they were going to generate revenue, how they were going to bring in money. The only one that said anything about the how was Rikosh talking about LED boards outside the stadium and inside, all redone for better advertising? You know that you can maximize advertising possibilities. <sighs> Benitez talked about parking cars at the Luge for the metro during the week when there's no matches. Very, very weak idea. Um, again, I said he had good ideas and he had weak ideas. Um, almost like he was pulling at straws there. Um, but really, I wanted to hear how we were going to generate more investment. I want to hear whether or not we are trying to get into the Chinese market because that, that speaks to my values and whether or not I want my club doing business with the Chinese government. Okay? I, I I have serious reservations I know I don't want my club doing business with the Saudi Arabian government for example I don't want my club doing business with you know other entities necessarily you know neither one of them really talked about that okay neither one of them talked about investment opportunities from the outside the John texters the the whoever's you know uh, we talk about the Saad, A little bit, but I think Benitez had a good point that he thinks that the women's team should be incorporated into the side. I said that a year and a half ago. So maybe maybe Francisco Benitez is a fan of Mr. Benfica (laughs) Um, because some of the things I've said about the philosophy of the club, about the implementation of, you know, systems of play implementation of the women's team in the sad and in ways to grow the modlidad he said all, he said a lot of the same things and he he is much more comfortable talking about the modlidad i think that is his his stronger stronger forte he is an extra he played for the club as a rugby player okay so he comes from a much different reality than hui Koshna the mistake that made him look really foolish was when he talked about the Joao Felix transfer again he said as soon as Joao Felix had five or six matches in the first team and scored a few goals that the club were shopping him around to big clubs and this got put right down as soon as Rui Costa got his rebuttal and he said do you really think a player like that we had to shop a player like Joao Felix around He goes, you don't think that the offers came in immediately? And I can tell you that they were getting offers for João Felix, most likely by the time he was 16 years old, 17 years old. When he was playing in the UEFA Youth League, I'm sure the offers were already coming in. This didn't look well on Benitez. Okay, Um Ricochet got better as 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 the debate went on. He uh got more comfortable speaking. Twitter was going wild saying he was dying for a cigarette break. It did look like that. He was sweating and he was kind of, you know, that that you know, stumbling a little bit. But um he did recover. Once once he got animated and once he, his he felt his Kijmu was called into question, which is where he's really strong at, at professing his Benfica. I don't even think it was called into question. I think it was just a way to sort of, again, deflect attention away from some other things. But he told us all, you know, he reminded us that if Benfica, had, if it not for money, he'd never left Benfica. That was the first thing. Uh, Benitez points out that Nuno Gomes came back in 2001 or in 2002. Riccardo went to AC Milan from Fiorentina in 2001. Before that, and he said the only reason Nuno Gomes came back to Benfica is because and he's right is because Fiorentina defaulted, they they went bankrupt. And Nuno Gomes even in his in talking to Benfica independent during the their series of interviews during the pandemic, during the worst portions of the pandemic, the lockdowns, he he Revealed to Benfica nation that, uh, that is, that as soon as he was going to be released from his contract with Fiorentina, Porto showed up at his, showed up at his house in, in Italy, and, and they wanted to sign him. And he had told them he had already told Benfica that the moment he was available, he would talk to them first, and thus. Thus, Huy, uh Nungoms returned Rui had been sold one year earlier and he pointed out for 43 million euros and he correctly said you think Benfica had 43 million euros in 2001 obviously they did not this was it's this was in 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 the worst of times this was you know 12 months after João Pinto had been released essentially been told he wasn't he, we couldn't keep him anymore so he got Kind of the same message that, but in a much nastier way, that Lionel Messi got from Barcelona. Um, you know, saying we can't afford you, essentially. Except he was actually, you know, released, whereas Lionel Messi, you know, found another place to play. Um, so I'm losing my concentration here. It's been a long show, but all in all. I was disappointed with this debate because I don't think it was the table it should have been to to discuss ideas. And Maybe I have the wrong idea of what a debate is, but I really think society has just gotten so uncultured and just become so simplistic and so tribal in nature that we just... Turn debates into a box into a verbal boxing match. At the end of the day, there were there was more there was more that was said. But again, the important thing is that there was a debate. The important thing is that uh, Benitez was given time on BTV. It wasn't. It was an hour, but it's time. It, it's important that he was given a platform. It's important that the club's channel. Acknowledge that there's even an election and that there's two candidates and they told us here's where they have different opposing views. The best thing to come out of it for me is, and I felt relieved knowing both candidates support term limits. Again, I'm big on term limits. You cannot allow someone to to be there forever. I don't want Pinto da Costa. Porto fans know deep down he will be president until the day he dies. He has surpassed the point to where anyone will seriously threaten to oust him. I don't want that for our club. I want fresh ideas coming in. I, want, I don't want someone surrounded by people they handpicked for years and just keep replacing handpicked people that become more and more loyal to that person. The loyalty needs to be to the club and not to the president. They disagree on the term limit. Okay, there's a slight disagreement. Benitez believes it should be a two-term limit, and these are four-year terms, and Costa believes it should be a 12. That's probably because Costa is right now in his early 50s, I want to say. Rikosha, um, he, I want to say he's 51 or 52. I'm double-checking that now. But, um, my guess is 12 years is about how much longer he wants to be working (laughs) and then he wants to retire. So let's see here. He's, oh, he's 49 years old. Okay. So Huikosh is 49, 12 years from now, he'll be 61 and he will, he'll probably want to go right off into the sunset and live his best life and, uh. Be done working, and, and I totally respect that. But I think that's the only reason he supports a 12-year, 12, uh, 12 year, you know, three-term limit. But the fact that they both want term limits is a good thing. And the fact that they both have to declare where they stand on certain things is a good thing. So now, listen, Benitez is not going to win, and I don't believe that he believed he was going to win at any point. I think he did what he felt was right, and I think he needs to be commended for running And for putting himself out there for the abuse he's getting because he knows that nobody should ever run unopposed. How can you have an election one year ago with the highest turnout ever? Have that president removed? You can call it what you want. You can say he resigned. He was forced out. Let's be honest. Okay? He was incapable of fulfilling his duties. How can uh, that happen and then the successor run unopposed? After all that we have fought for, okay, for after all that, especially the guys, the, the guys and girls, the sausage on the ground, in, in and around the club, getting the signatures to get the, the AGE, to get the General Assembly, okay, to force this election. How pathetic would it have looked if the interim president that's being disputed by some um, as not being, you know, part, you know, not following the statutes, which still needs to be discussed and hashed out. The statutes need to literally be one by one hashed out and clarified also. Um, But how pathetic would it have looked if he ran unopposed after all this? So, my hat's off to, to Francisco Benitez for that. He did a service to the club because he made Rui Costa, you know, and, and Rui Costa agreed to this probably because he knew he was going to win. Okay. Once João Neroniolop did not run, I think Rui Costa felt fine debating. Um, I think... That Benitez filled a hole that needed to be filled. He did something for the good of the club and not for his own personal good, and that should be commended. Because now we have a list of things to hold Huiqash accountable to, and he says he's going to be transparent and accountable. Um, they're talking about audits. You know, they they argued back and forth about audits, but you know the the transparency in him. A lot of jargon back and forth, but at the end of the day. I think Benfica will be better for having had this. I know not everyone agrees with me. Some people believe this was a a waste of time. Some people are adamantly voting what they say in Portuguese. Aim Branco blank. Um, there was also the issue that that Benitez did not reveal who the football people are in his, you know, in his committee, in his team. And he said he would reveal that after the election. And Kosha correctly points out, so you're asking for a blank check from the Sausage without knowing who you have, you know, supporting you. And uh, another good point. He was better prepared for the debate at the end of the day. That uh, does not mean he'd be the better president. That does not mean that he wouldn't be the better president, okay? At the end of the day, um, I think Befica will be better in the long run because these these very small steps were taken. Um I fully expect Rui Costa to win by eight, eight, with a vote of 80% or even better. If he gets less than 80% I think that's a victor a small victory, moral victory for the opposition. So we'll see what happens. Um my original plan was to record again tomorrow when the results came out and then I remember how late they were. They came out a year ago, and I really don't, in this time, I believe they're going to certify with a hand count afterwards. So I'm not sure how long it's going to take to get a certified result. But in episode 128, we will will talk about, um, sorry, this is 128. In episode 129, we will talk about uh, the fallout from the election and where we go from here. All right. It's been almost two hours. Sorry to keep you so long. It's been more than two hours, actually. I'm going to go. It is late here, and I have to be at work in about five hours, so I'm going to try to get a little sleep here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for bearing with me through this whole thing. Um, I hope some of this was informative. Um, Please don't judge me on my analysis of, (laughs) of the points and of the of the stances of the two candidates, okay? I'm not telling you who's right, who's wrong. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I will not do that. You vote for who you believe should you should vote for. Most of you probably will have already voted by the time you listen to this. Um, so may the best man win, and um, I just hope it's a fair and transparent election, and I hope the club moves forward. And hopefully we don't have to talk about this again next year. That is my other hope. Uh, some people are predicting we'll be in the same exact space one year from now, talking about another forced election. Hopefully not. All right, enjoy the weekend. Um, international break, as you know. So if you're if you're not into that, enjoy the time off. If you're into it, enjoy the football. But don't forget the women's team does play uh, Saturday. And uh, don't forget the Mozilla. lads. all right. They need our support as well. They are Benfica. They are just as much Benfica as anyone else and as any other team. So that's going to do it. This is the Mr. Michael Agustino signing off. I'll see you next time. Here on Mr. Benfica on the PTB Media Network. <laughs>